0: Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. This podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley in the northwest of Brisbane. The land I live on is Waka Waka and Turbul country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and pay my respects to their ancestors, past and present. And I'd also like to extend that to you. In today's episode I speak with Valence Williams from Soul Horse Revolution. Valence started her life with horses, and then life took her elsewhere for a while. It was the words of her father after she was having some difficulty in life that led her back. He told her that what she needed was a horse in her life, and, like all wise parents who know us better than we know ourselves at times, he was right. Valence then went on a long and adventurous journey through Victoria and Queensland, learning all that she could doing various disciplines and different jobs, all working with horses. All the while, she seemed to be gathering her toolkit of things she would keep and things she knew she needed to do differently. It was finally time for Valence to train horses for herself and others. This, it seems, is where her real learning began. This is where she was able to work with incredible teachers, the first being her horse, Gambler. She has now grown a herd and has achieved something so beautiful. I get goosebumps listening to how Valence was able to find a feeling of oneness while trail riding with her horse. Valence has an incredible base of knowledge in her training, working in equine behaviour and now equine assisted learning. She has a lot to give the horse world and I was so happy she agreed to be interviewed for this podcast. Here is Valence. Valence, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Happy
1: to be here. Thank you.
0: You're incredibly welcome. First of all, could you tell me a little bit about what it is that you do?
1: I guess I promote a a different way of being with horses. A little bit, yeah, a little bit uh, more holistic, I suppose
0: do you work with people and their horses? Do you also restart horses for people and train? Do you do riding lessons? What is it that you do with people in a holistic way?
1: I help guide people to connect with their horse more. It's not just about the working part, the training part, it's being with them. For me, my horses are my life partners, my partners in life. So it's not just the training we also meditate together or we just hang out together just because we enjoy each other's company so um, it's holistic in that way there's the training there's the hanging out there's the meditating together and just life together
0: Mm, sounds like bliss
1: (laughs) it feels like bliss and so I'm just hoping to help guide people to experience that with their own horses
0: It's fantastic. And it's great to know that a lot of people are using the word connection these days. It's really a word that I hear over and over again in the training industry with horses. So it's fantastic that people are looking for that now.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Instead of dominance. So Valence, I'd love to hear more about that in a little while. But first of all, I'd love to hear more about you. Can you tell me, did you grow up with horses?
1: I did to a point, funny thing, my parents actually did have horses, but they sold them all just before I came along to, you know, raise their family. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. And I came along and I think I was just born loving them. So I harassed my parents to let me have a, a horse or pony. So when I was young, we did have a couple of ponies growing up we didn't get to do pony club as much as I wanted to. I was more like one of those people that just jumps on and fangs around in the paddock and, you know, didn't really know what I was doing, just loved them, just loved being around them and, yeah, just doing whatever I could and spending as much time with them as I could.
0: It's the beautiful thing about ponies, though, is they seem to know that when they're truly loved and they, have that partnership they seem to just go anywhere with kids and do anything because the kids don't have all the stories going on in their heads like adults do they don't have an agenda just able to go hey let's go on an adventure and the pony says great let's go
1: yeah isn't it beautiful
0: (laughs) Mm, it really is so did you keep ponies through your teenage years
1: so that's when I had a break I was probably about 17 when I rehomed The horse that I ended up getting after my little ponies, I rehomed him and I was focusing on my fitness side of things. I, I was actually a competitor in kickboxing and boxing. I was focusing on my fitness instructing. I was in school. I was studying to be a fitness instructor. So by the time I'd finished, I had my qualifications to do that.
0: So what was the catalyst to bring horses back into your life?
1: So I'll speak about this and try not to cry because it means so much to me.
0: Crying's okay too.
1: I was going through a very tough time, quite a traumatic experience. And now I missed horses the whole time I didn't have them, but I thought, oh, you know, financially I I don't know that I can and, you know, Mm. telling myself all those things. And as I'm talking about this story, Banjo's actually walking up closer (laughs) to me, which is wow. and, yeah, I was not doing very well in life. And it was actually my father that said one day, you need to get a horse. It's, the only, it's what's missing from your life. And, you know, I just put all those fears aside uh, that I had around money and, you know, getting back into them. And I just went and found myself another horse to help get me through the tough time that I was having in my life. And that's what brought me back into them.
0: And who was that horse and where did you find it?
1: So this was Brody, And I was lucky enough to find him through a friend that I made through the gym, one of my students in in the gym.
0: What type of horse is he?
1: He was a Clydesdale Cross something.
0: Beautiful. And what did you guys do together? How did you start with him?
1: I was lucky enough to be a gisting next to a really good riding place so I used to take him for trail riding through there that's mainly what we did just trail riding.
0: And how was it that he helped you through the traumatic time in your life what was it that he did?
1: Well just being there and just because I loved horses so much it felt a little like coming home again I suppose to have the horse again uh, but it was actually his paddock mate can't remember his paddock mate's name but the, this paddock mate, this gelding, he used to chase Brody away from his feed and I used to get so angry and frustrated and I'd shoo him away and I'd get so mad at him. And then one day, a really bad day, I went and I sat in the paddock and I cried and I cried. And this horse that I was always shooing away, he came and, and stood behind me as they do as we know now that that's what they often do Mm. and he stood behind me and I just felt so supported his his head was above my head and his legs were behind my back and at one stage I remember and we're going back over over 10 years Mm -hmm. um I remember lying back against this gelding's Front legs and just feeling completely held. So that was that was a big moment for me. Um, yeah,
0: that's so beautiful. Yeah. In um, my holistic counselling training, one of the things we do to strengthen a client is always, and what I do to strengthen myself in times of trouble is I put my ancestors behind me, so I line my dad up on my right side and my mum up on my left side and and you can feel them behind you and feel the strength. But there's also for those people who don't have that good memory of parenting with them, you can actually have that as anything you like. So I'm not amazed, nothing surprises me anymore, that a horse is intuitively able to literally put themselves in the space that we would use in counselling. They're such beautiful, intuitive beings. Yeah, give you that support to let go of what it is you need to let go of, and process what it is you need to process. The strength to go on.
1: Yeah, and it just, you know, I think it just meant even more because I was always so angry and frustrated at him and sending him away, but he was still there when the human needed support. You know, just beautiful.
0: Yeah, because they don't hold on. Yeah. They don't tell themselves the story no. that he was just. He was pushing in, you told him to go away. It was really that simple. Yep. That's so beautiful. Yeah. So what was the next step for you?
1: So I left my work <laughs> in in personal training. I was actually running a, a boxing gym for fitness at that stage and I was also running uh, group fitness classes at various gyms, but my passion had gone and I'd always wanted to work with horses but life didn't go that way you know it just flowed in the way of fitness so but in the end I just lost my passion and I was starting to dread going to run a class and I decided to let it all go and see what work I could find with horses
0: and what came up for you
1: Oh, so many things. The first thing that came up was, it was advertised as a four week horse training course in Tamworth, including how to, they put it breaking, um, breaking in, but I like to say starting under saddle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I packed my dog, my staffie that I had then <laughs> and headed off to Tamworth on my own, which was a huge thing for me. And I stayed there for a few weeks learning how this fella, started his horses under saddle and, and trained his horses. And from there I went on to being a drover's offsider, which the connection came through through that, that guy. So I was on the road droving with with a drover for oh, I think I was on the road for about six weeks.
0: Where did you do the droving? That
1: was around Narrabri in and Walgut. Mm,
0: beautiful. What was that like?
1: Oh, I just loved it. <laughs> you know, every day just um, being, being out with the horses and the cattle and uh, getting to ride every day. And I took my staffy with me for that too. He was my best mate. I really enjoyed that. I think the people that you do it with make the difference too because you're with them all the time.
0: yeah Yeah. wow I've always seen drivers as um rock stars they were my rock stars when I was a kid oh
1: wow well these these guys I was with a couple of guys and they tended to ride the motorbike and the four-wheeler and I was with I got the horses I think we had about 10 and uh so I just um you know ride a different one each day
0: and did that take you back to Melbourne after that
1: Oh, only briefly because then I decided I wanted to go to Queensland and just see what happened up there. So I I went up to Queensland and I found myself a a job as a pen rider.
0: What's a pen rider do?
1: Yeah, that's where we uh, ride the horses through the the pens at at a feedlot looking for sick cattle Mm -hmm. and pulling the sick ones out and treating them in our little hospital area. So I was doing that and I, I really enjoyed working cattle. The only thing with that is I had to block out what the cattle were there for because I've now, I now have very little animal products in my diet as, you know, I was changing. But even back then, I had to block out why those cows were there. You know, that was hard. But I did really enjoy working with the horse and, and the cows. And when I came back to to Melbourne or to Victoria I tried a few more jobs I I did actually work in another feedlot with my horse so I trained him up on cattle and even though he was a Clydesdale cross he was amazing he was such a solid awesome horse and I tried working in racing stables I worked at a place that had animals for movies I was a loper for a couple of cutting horse trainers I even got to go the Tamworth Futurity, which was big for me.
0: So there's that, so many different disciplines. What did you learn and get out of each one? Because I believe we go from place to place to actually pick something up along the way and learn something new. What did you learn about the racing stables? Oh,
1: That it wasn't for me.
0: And that's a good lesson to learn.
1: Yeah.
0: What did you find there that wasn't for you?
1: The horses didn't have a voice. Mm. Yep. So that was difficult that was difficult for
0: me. Yeah. And what was the next place?
1: Loping at a cutting horse train.
0: Did those horses have a voice? No. Yeah, it's not it's yeah, that's it, it's a new thing, isn't it? This was a few years back and it's a very new thing to be able to think about giving horses a voice. So what did you learn from that experience?
1: I did pick up how to have a horse work cattle better (laughs) great yeah I guess I just got to see how everything worked and back then I wanted to learn how to work cows and you know I I enjoyed team penny so it came in handy for the little comps that I wanted to do in back in the yeah back then
0: but such a broad level of experience you're getting out there in the horse world what came next
1: I did work at a facility that had dressage horses as well. That was one of the more recent things. How was that? By then I think I had my own ideas about dressage, modern versus classical. What were they? This was more modern dressage. My belief around it is modern is quite rushed and can be forced, whereas I value what I was learning about the the classical, which is taking the time to build up the horse and, you know, when that horse is in his 20s, he should be amazing at what he's doing, not broken down.
0: Ah, oh, brilliant. Gee, there's a big difference there, isn't there?
1: Yeah, that's my findings or my thoughts on what I've seen.
0: So you were starting to formulate your own ideas. It starts as a whisper, doesn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, all these little seeds getting planted. But I suppose uh, before before that job came along, I actually came to a, a place, like, I was in between jobs. And it was suggested to me, why don't you get a few horses cheap from the sales and start them under saddle uh, and sell them to make some money? And because, you know, I'd been picking up all this stuff that I could everywhere I was working and serving other trainers. I thought, okay, well, I'll give I'll give that a go. The next horse that came to me was a horse named Gambler and he had been... He had been through the sales and my mother actually purchased him and it was hard for her to handle. So she thought maybe I could work with him and do something with him. He was sold as a stock horse, but I'm pretty sure he was a thoroughbred. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: a big difference.
1: Yeah, well, you just you just never know what you're getting from the sales, do you really? I mean, he was supposed to be a green broken polo horse. And I thought, oh, well, let's see if I can get him working some cattle. And the first time I put a saddle on him, he barked like mad. And when he'd finished barking, he was standing there with his legs all splayed out, his nostrils flared, just completely panicked. And I'm like, this is, this isn't right. You know, I think that we've not been told the truth here. So, I treated him as a horse that had not been started before and basically tried to turn him into a riding horse. He was one of the big influences in my life that helped me along my journey, that started to shift shift me, shift my thinking. So I got him to a point where I was riding him but he just wasn't relaxed and I felt like something, like an explosion might happen. I took him to, to a trainer's, like I was, I was helping this trainer out and in return he said that um, he would help me get this horse going. But in the end he told me that this horse uh, was dangerous and you will end up hurting somebody someday and I should just get rid of him.
0: The classic horse world response.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it even got to that point where they did the the lay down. And and back then I was thinking, oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't think it was bad back then, the lay down. Because back then it wasn't seen as dominant or teaching the horse learned helplessness. Yeah. And he laid this horse down and got me to sit all over him and, and on the horse. And anyway, he's like, right, this horse is good now good to go and you know what like when we got him up and went to walk him around he bucked me off (laughs) and that's what I love about that horse about Gambler is that he never gave up I I actually love his fighting spirit he would not let a human beat him Mm. and I just admire that so much in him
0: and without that you may not have changed
1: yeah that's what ended up bringing me to purchasing my own round pen panels and making a little boutique facility to try starting him myself. <laughs> like to see, okay, well, let's see if this, if what the trainer says is true. But I really didn't know very much, you know. But I got him to a point where I was, I could ride him and I even took him to a club that I was in and rode him around the arena. And I look back at photos and and I just, oh, I go, oh, that poor horse, what I was doing to him. So what ended up happening was every now and again, he would freeze and explode, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to do about that back then. And I, I did get, I did hurt my back the last time I came off him. So I couldn't actually get back on him. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't because I don't know what would have happened if I had managed to get back on him after that. I just didn't want to continue on with the ridden stuff, and especially with the little knowledge that I had. And I, what I did see in Gambler was something else. For example, there were times where I'd go out to him crying in the paddock, say at night time when I was upset, and he would let me put my chest to his chest and and hug him, Mm. and he would just stand there and let me hold him and let me cry. And I just got so much more from him in that way that I decided that maybe this was his purpose. Maybe he's not meant to be a ridden horse, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have value. And I saw, I saw his value. And so, yeah, he, he stayed with me and he's still in my life. He was a babysitter for my young fella that I, that I bred and, I don't know, they must have mucked around one night because he got, he got injured. So these days, I think with the, with what I know now, uh, with say knowledge of the nervous system and also, you know, the addition of more positive reinforcement into my, my training approach, maybe I could have got him going, but uh, that's just not on my, my agenda now because I ended up getting a bunch more horses
0: he was just the one to show you the way but and also um even with the most gentle training and all the things you know now maybe he just didn't ever want to be ridden there is that absolute possibility
1: yeah well that's that's right and and it really it doesn't really matter to me like I don't feel that it matters um I feel that he was he was there to steer me on the course because it wasn't just the ridden stuff. He could be an explosive force and, he could, and it could be dangerous and he really showed me that I need to listen and to start looking at alternatives. So that's really what he showed me in the end. So whether he gets ridden or not doesn't matter at all.
0: Yeah, can you give me an example of a time where he showed you that you had to use an alternative?
1: So I used to try and force him into the float, you know, just pressure and release stuff, nothing, yep. nothing major, but it could just really send him way over his threshold where he would be rearing up quite powerful rears, just lights on nobody home type of thing. And, and so just learning to really slow down and to listen and to create trust.
0: Yeah, so that lights on nobody home would be trauma, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, well, that's how I see him now. Yeah, and that's if I was to work with him again now, that is how I would be approaching him through his nervous system and helping Mm. him through trauma.
0: Yeah. And so how did that change when you... Had him earring, what did you change then to be able to get him on the float?
1: Slowing down, giving mm-hmm. him the time that he needs. And at the time, I didn't realise what I was doing. But now, when I look back, I know that I was allowing his nervous system the time it needed to calm down. Mm-hmm. And also, because we were beginning to have a conversation and he was beginning to see that I care about what he's saying, we developed more trust. Mm. and so when you've got the trust and the calmness you don't get as many no's
0: I love that when you've got trust and calmness you don't get as many no's that's brilliant
1: yeah yeah so he taught me in that way I guess like if I didn't listen to him I could get hurt you know that's that's how he showed me to to start listening but then the next little horse that came to me he was also also through an auction was Cody my paint horse Mm -hmm. and uh I'd actually never um bidded on it at an auction before and but for some reason I just went for it with him I wasn't even sure that I really wanted him my idea was to to buy a nice horse so I could start it and and rehome it and I just oh, he's okay, he seems like a nice horse. He's interacting with the um the fella that had brought into the sales and I bid on him, I set a number in my head and got him for fifty dollars more than the number I set in my head.
0: <laughs> well done.
1: And, uh, yeah, yeah, and I brought him home and he took me to the next stage. But he did that in a different way. He did that through my heart. Because wow. oh I just ended up falling so hard for this guy and I call him little Cody but he's not little anymore (laughs) I just loved him so much and he's just so expressive and he he when he would tell me no it wasn't that I was in danger but I just loved him so much that it hurt me to see him not happy beautiful yeah yeah and so that's what changed me in that way through my heart he didn't need to Be drastic or aggressive or dangerous, but you know he'd tell me no, and I loved him so much that I started listening, and I started meditating in the paddock with him. I I was studying spirituality and um, practicing meditation, and I would start doing that in the paddock with him, and he was so drawn to the breathing exercises he would start to come up um, and do what the you know original gelding I spoke about did, come and stand up behind me or he'd stand in front of me and he'd breathe with me. Wow. Yeah, and he could stand there for, oh, one time I, I timed it and it was at least an hour and a half um, that he was just standing there with me in the paddock. There was food in the paddock. He had a friend in the paddock. You know, he had alternatives, but he chose to come up and be with me and breathe with me. And uh, the more I did that, I feel like the more connected I got with them, the more intuitive I got with all of my horses. Yeah, and it was another thing that we could do together uh, which was pleasant for both of us, you know, just sharing time together and not having to the horse having to do anything.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. Connection step one. Yeah. Have no expectations. Don't ask them to do anything. Just hang out with them.
1: Yep, that's right. That's right. And they're just so drawn to our energy when we shift it. And then Banjo did come along well and he's he's a lovely boy, different again. I mean, all of them I train slightly differently because it's individual. You know, the, the meditation stuff seems to be a really special thing between me and Cody. The others have come up and done it too, but it just seems to be mine and Cody's special thing. And then there was DJ. So he's the young fella that I actually bred. And he is probably the next one along. So the the next shift for me, which has been more recent, which was to look more into the nervous system and calmness of both me, the handler, and the horse. And it just so happened that I was studying isn't it nice when everything comes together? So I was studying holistic counselling and meditation therapy. I was learning about the nervous system and brain-body medicine and things like that, you know, non horse related just um, human. I had also had some more emotional troubles. I, I'd been through another traumatic experience. Mm. and So I was learning about recovering from the symptoms of trauma for myself. And I was starting to see those links between the horse training and my recovery through the nervous system.
0: Can you explain that a little bit more, how you saw those links and what that manifested into physically?
1: One of my symptoms of trauma was to go into a fight mode, you know, you've heard of fight, flight. I mean. Yep.
0: Fight, flight, freeze.
1: And, and some people added fidget to it as well, which is a horsey, a horsey one.
0: Nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, because when they're nervous, they fidget. Um, but a lot of people will just say, always being disrespectful. But these are some of the things that, you know, I'm trying to teach people is the, the signs that your horse is not calm, that he's going where he is in that just threshold mm-hmm. of his coping was I would go into fight if I went over my threshold. And I could see when DJ was doing that as well. And I start to look for in myself and my horse, the tiny little signals that our stress is starting to escalate. So we don't get to the point where we feel that we need to fight or flee. Fighting doesn't mean, you know, that we're actually hitting someone. I mean, in the extreme, that can be it. But it doesn't always show up like that. I mean, at an earlier stage, it might just look like you wanting to argue and prove you're right. Yeah. I was just really trying to observe myself and DJ in particular because if I – DJ was another one where if I didn't listen to him then I always felt there could be something big and then one day there was and it wasn't like a, a common thing for him but, you know, one day he did have a big expo- explosion and it was quite scary and the difference with DJ and the, the other horse Gambler was that DJ actually, he keeps his, he's not obvious and expressive, you know, like Cody Gambler, very expressive You, it's not a secret what they're feeling. So you can see easily if they're not, if they're worried, if they're stressed. But with DJ, and I know other horses like him, it's very subtle. It's, you have to be very mindful and aware to notice the, those subtle signs that he's building up because I just wasn't seeing it. And he was trying so hard to be good. And um, or to, to do what he was told. Learned
0: obedience, yeah.
1: Yeah, and when he was first born, I thought, oh, I've, I know everything I need to know about horsemanship now. I was still very much in just pressure and release. I did do a little bit of positive reinforcement, but that was kind of limited to tricks back then because when I was a little girl, I learned to teach dogs tricks through positive reinforcement. So it was kind of really limited. But with Young DJ, I was you know, pressure and release and I was using that approach where you escalate your aversives, you know, your one, two, three and, and even though I never had to hurt him, I look back on it now and I believe what I did was I created a horse that was worried to get it wrong because if he got it wrong then whatever I was doing, like the cue, would the aversive would escalate, you know, the pressure would get bigger. And so I never had to hurt him to create this fear around training or getting it wrong. And and that's what that's my interpretation of what happened with uh with Deech. Uh so he tried to be obedient uh and he tried to be good. Yeah, so he was kind of not showing obviously the signs that he was stressed and then you know the explosion would come
0: so he had the perfectionist personality
1: yeah didn't want to get it wrong he actually got me to oh yeah before the nervous system he actually got me to look at positive reinforcement more too because the pressure release stuff trying to be dominant wasn't working on him I had actually kept him uh, a cult for quite a few years because as an experiment I wanted to see how um how my training system would work on him. But, you know, he probably wasn't the easiest cold because he got, uh, his mum was a maiden mum and I, from memory, I was told she was hand read and she sort of never gave this little fella discipline. (laughs) And even when he was with another gelding and his mum, he was a 6 month old foal chasing this gelding around and eating his tail and just being a complete menace and never never getting told off by anybody i felt like i was the only one that ever set a boundary with him which was different for him and now he's 6 now and even in the herd he still has trouble with boundaries and for me that what what i get from that is these youngsters really do well when they're brought up in the herd environment where they get to learn the social skills. So I think that's another thing that Bordeej missed out on was the socialisation.
0: Yeah, it's very important. So I
1: explored some positive reinforcement with him and some of his behaviours too were frustration behaviours so I didn't blame him because he, he was separated for a while when he was getting a bit too boisterous or when he was eating the manes and tails of the geldings So he had some frustration, which is fair enough, and uh, I did use some clicker training to help address that, and it worked lovely. For example, he had developed a barging behaviour through the gate because he just wanted to get out of his paddock gate, and so as soon as I opened the gate, he would barge through it. And so what I did was I went back to Liberty and positive reinforcement and reinforced him for walking beside me at Liberty. And then I remember one day I went to open a gate and he thought about barging. He thought about it because he went to do it. His body tensed up. He went to go and it was almost like something clicked in his head and he just went, oh, no, I get reinforced for standing here. And he didn't do it. And he just quietly walked out beside me. And that was a big moment for me Went, oh, this stuff really can work.
0: (laughs) Fantastic.
1: So that's great, but I don't want that to allow me to overlook how that behaviour was created. So even though I, I could um, train him what I wanted to do, I, I don't want to ignore the fact that he wasn't happy being in the paddock on his own maybe without whatever the circumstance was. I mean, we've moved around a lot, so it's always different.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. There's so many things that go into it, but what's lovely about that one horse is that because you bred him, you watch the the development all the way through. It's such a luxury to be able to do that in the horse world. You're very lucky that you're able to see and look back and go, that's exactly what mm-hmm. I did. So I assume some of the biggest changes would be then because a lot of the natural horsemanship pressure and release work looks quite gentle. But sometimes for different personalities, it's really not um, not suited to it.
1: Yeah, for different personalities. And also, like again, I just think because if you got it wrong, the pressure escalated even though it was only a tiny little bit of pressure. It's the context of the training. With the clicker training It's and, and liberty training, they're not afraid to get it wrong. And so... Then I studied more of the positive reinforcement. I studied um, a diploma in equine psychology, and I was also noticing with your learning theory, your positive reinforcement, your negative reinforcement, and your punishments, and seeing how some of my behaviours developed through through what was positively reinforced in my life. You know, when I was younger, and maybe they don't work for me now in my adult life, but they did when I was a kid. But I could see how they developed.
0: What's the biggest one that you found yourself that you noticed positive and negative reinforcement as a kid?
1: Before when I mentioned that my tendency was to go into a fight mode when I was rigged.
0: Mm.
1: Well, when I was young, I started karate
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and I loved it and I was really good at it. And we really valued the masculine, you know, in my family. And when I was good at fighting, and good at things around that masculine side, I was praised. Yeah. I actually wonder if that was reinforced and in the long run, you know, that's what I feel is going to keep me safe. That's my answer. That's what I need to to do to be safe or to get um, or to be loved or accepted.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so doing the clicker and positive reinforcement, is that when you worked more on the liberty work?
1: I did do uh, liberty with pressure and release as well mm-hmm. I did that first and then I when I started doing more clicker and studying more positive reinforcement I brought more and more of that into the liberty training and fun liberty fun because we like to do a lot of tricks uh, just for fun mm-hmm. but I also have now brought the positive reinforcement into you know the everyday handling stuff for example Cody's feet. He was always being very touchy around his feet. He had some very negative experiences, had some trauma around getting his feet done when he was younger. And what I ended up having to do was doing completely at liberty, do it with uh, positive reinforcement And by liberty, I mean he had choice to say no. It's not just that he had no tack on. If he said no, that's fine, I accept it.
0: And he said no by not lifting his foot up. He said no by walking away. How did he say no?
1: Exactly, yep, anything. So he'd done both. He would either say, no, I'm keeping my foot down, or he would often just leave the space. And now I don't have a hoof stand. I've just got a, a car jack, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, little arrangement, and I'll take that. I do my own maintenance trimming in between uh, my barefoot trimmer. I'm trying to get better at that. Actually, all of the horses I've been doing at Liberty in the paddock. Actually, the other day <laughs> I had my pink apron on my you know trimming apron and I picked up my hoop stand and I walked into the paddock and Cody was there and his ears pick up and he starts walking towards me so I just love that because that meant that he's been having positive experiences around getting his feet done you know I just love it when you walk into the paddock and the horses are like yes what are we doing today
0: That's fantastic. And what is it like? Is there ever a situation now with your horses where you don't have a treat available for positive reinforcement? Do you use treats for positive reinforcement or do you use something else? And how does that align to different circumstances if that's not available?
1: I most often use a treat. It depends on what the horse values. So DJ loves scratches. So I can teach him things for scratches. Mm-hmm. You're bringing me now to my next phase in my horsemanship journey, which is about the calmness. So, and this is where Banjo can come in. So with Banjo, I haven't done a lot of clicker with him. Like Cody seemed to just love it. He's just a little star, Cody. But with Banjo, he seemed to be more the type that, you know, you do your work and then at the end you'd have, you'd have some food but what I've been playing with this year with banjo is slowing down even more, like even more than I was already doing, you know, through gambler's lessons and really listening and really having two-way conversations about things, not always having to be my way, give and take and just that calmness. And so this year, I moved to a property which is on about 150 acres. I don't really have a training facility. So I thought, okay, well, let's try and take advantage of the pros because there's pros and cons in everything, right? So no point focusing on on the negatives. Yeah. Let's take advantage of what's there. And what is here at the place that I'm at now is the opportunity to do trail riding. And I hadn't done that for a long time. I hadn't been in an area that was um, suitable So I thought, okay, well, let's get Benj ready for riding again. And I thought that I was going to have to take some time to get him used to coming away from the herd, to get him used to me being on his back again and giving him direction, I suppose. And so I thought, okay, I'll start leading him out and just taking him for walks, which I like to do anyway. And I think it was... Oh, was it the first or second session? I, I don't know, but it was either the first or the second session. Well, I have no trouble taking my horses away from the herd, from the paddock. They're just like, let's go. It's the ones that are getting left behind that are like, hey, where are you going? Take us with you. Yeah, It's pretty cool when your horse just wants to go away with you, you know, on adventures. So I was just like, taking Banjo for a walk in the halter. I thought, I wonder how far we can get. And you know what? He was saying, oh, let's go explore this area. Let's explore this area. And we went down to the back of the property and everything was just so calm. And we had such a lovely conversation going on. And I was getting tired because it had been ages. And so I thought, well, I'm going to sit on his back and see if we can continue this. And that's what I did. And we, we went out. We continued riding. And we stopped for a bit when we got as far as we could go and and I I just realized it just hit me all of a sudden where I had achieved my end goal perhaps even more than my end goal more than my expectations the first or second time because all of a sudden I was out there in the middle of nowhere no other souls around in in the middle of the bush in just a halter bareback completely calm and connected to my horse And this feeling just washed over me of just, wow, you know? Mm. And that was no treats, no food involved in that. It was, I suppose, intrinsic motivation. Banjo and I had a mutual goal, I suppose. You know, it was mutual leading. We both had ideas and sometimes he'd go with mine and sometimes I'd go with his. And he's given me more experiences like that since that first time with our ridden stuff where it just felt that we were so in tune. I didn't have to consciously even pick up a rain. Like, and by rain, like I'm talking I just clipped. The first time I was just on a, in a lead rope and the next time was again or the next few times I've just been in the halter. I haven't been riding in a bit for a while. Yeah, but pick up the lead rope or pick up the rain clip to the halter I felt that I didn't even need to do that because my thought created a response in banjo. And I'm like, yeah, this is what they're talking about, that centaur effect, isn't
0: it? (laughs) Mm, Wow, that must be the most extraordinary feeling.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I was so grateful. It brought me to tears. And even like for days afterwards when I thought about how that connection that we're just so in tune it, it does it, it brings me to tears because I'm so grateful and it just feels like everything that I ever wanted when I was a little girl and some dreams you know that I've had about just being connected in that way so yeah it was like a life goal achieved without treats without having to use aversives just yeah connection and being
0: yeah On a very deep level. I love, and I've read a bit about it, and you've just spoken about it then, and I'd love to go more into it. I love when you talk about sometimes he leads, sometimes I lead. There's a lot of discussion around that. Some people believe that horses need a leader in order to feel safe. I believe more in your way. I believe that once you've got the true trust and deep connection, that everyone's got a voice. Because if my horse feels something, And I don't quite feel it. It's like being in a room. If somebody has an idea and I think, why didn't I think of that? I value that opinion and I value that within my horse as well. Can you speak more deeply about how you on that ride or on those trail rides when you go out allow him to lead sometimes and you to lead sometimes and what that looks like?
1: I will use an example from when I was leading him from the ground because that was more obvious. When I was riding him, It was, it just felt like we were completely in tune. It didn't, it just felt like we were on the same wavelength.
0: There was no leader, no follower at that point. It was just one.
1: Yeah, that's what that felt like. So the example that I'm thinking of is more when I was just going for walks. Mm -hmm. We would go for a walk and I would suggest a path to choose. And he might stop. And that to me is him saying, I don't really know about that path, you know, and I, I'd stop and I'd look at him and I'd sort of think to myself, well, where do you want to go? And I might even walk in a different direction. And then he would happily uh, like walk again. So that kind of thing. And then other times, yeah, like I would suggest a way and, and, you know, there would just be no, um, no reaction from him. He'd just be like, yep, cool. And we just keep going. I have just thought of an example that I loved from the written um, side we were navigating through these trees so we had to sort of pick a way to go and if he would pick a way to go that wouldn't exactly fit me through the trees with these low-lying branches and that I could suggest something but what I noticed was I had to acknowledge his idea before offering another one for it to be accepted like really accepted if I just said not like we're doing this it changed yeah but if i went oh that's your idea and it's just so subtle and not really obvious or conscious you know it was just something that happened and so if i acknowledge his idea and then say mm, oh no how about this one it just seemed to flow a um, a lot easier too so we navigated our way through those trees really harmoniously
0: and after that day did you see a difference in your connection going forward
1: Something felt stronger, the connection felt
0: stronger. Mm, That oneness.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: And how is it that you're able to teach other people these things?
1: What I teach people is the language signs of horses. You know, their little, uh, the body language and their behaviours and what they potentially mean. So that's one thing. The next thing is helping people to become calm and expanding their awareness so they notice those things.
0: Mm, Because one can't go without the other, can it?
1: Yeah, and then putting it into practice in different ways.
0: It's like laying a beautiful foundation and putting that as a base to all the other types of training that they do with their horse.
1: Yeah, that's right. I do like to teach learning theory. Which, again, is the positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment and negative punishment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I teach that because I want the horse owners to know the different ways the horses learn. So you can choose what feels best for you and your horse. Um, You don't have to listen to what anybody else is trying to tell you you need to do with your horse. Uh, A lot of the time people don't feel comfortable with what they're being told that they need to do. So I do teach how horses learn in those different ways as well.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I hear that so much from people in the horse world, this new age of horsemanship coming through. But prior to that, there's so many times where we're seeing what looks like gentle training, but it just doesn't quite feel right inside. So I'm really glad that you're yeah. teaching people how to read themselves, how to calm themselves, how to read horses and how horses learn. That's really powerful information.
1: I think so, yeah. I, I really believe it is. I mean, my, my big why is because I want horses to live the best possible life they can. And I think the more horse owners that know this – all this information that I'm trying to get out there, the, the more happy horses there's going to be. And then the more happy horse owners there's going to be too because it just feels so, so beautiful.
0: Yeah, because th- this is what we want with our horses. You know, even people who use old horsemanship methods still love their horse. They just don't have the tools. They don't have the know-how to, to do it in any different way. That's why I made this podcast as well because it's really important to me that people understand that there are other ways.
1: Yeah that's right and um, and um I think you touched on it with what you said just before about whether you're using a pressure and release approach or uh, positive reinforcement only. Some people use positive reinforcement only but no matter what you're doing the listening and the calmness of both you and your horse will both affect the outcome of the training that you're doing.
0: Because if you don't have the calmness and you don't understand how to listen then um, there's no communication there's no two-way have you studied in the equine therapy field at all equine assisted therapy field
1: what I've done is I've reading a lot of books did some workshops um, but in Australia you know we didn't have those certifications or anything back then and I participated in them for my own healing because I, as I mentioned to you, I went through some traumatic experiences. I also have symptoms of complex trauma, uh, which the horses were helping me through. So they've been my support through recovering from trauma, which has meant so much to me. And yeah, and I think why I really wanted to incorporate the healing that the horses can bring to us into the training. I call it horsemanship for the soul. (laughs)
0: Yeah, because your company, your business is called Soul Horse Revolution.
1: Yeah, that's the name of my business page because what I saw over my time, like starting off as a horse trainer for other people, training their horses and then giving them back, it's not really what I wanted to do. I wanted to teach the horse, the people how to train their horse, what the horse was knowing, what the horse was learning, so it would be a really smooth transition. But the people just weren't putting in the, the effort or the time. And the horses could go really good for me because I built the connection that people are often of the belief that the horse gets trained like a machine, a push button thing and it will come back and do what it's told. Well, it doesn't really work like that unless it's got really good learned helplessness, which I don't want.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a tricky one. And again, it's education, isn't it? Because there's a lot of that. Send your horse to a trainer, bring it back and and it's going great. More often than not, it doesn't quite happen that way.
1: Mm -hmm. or it'll come back going okay but gradually it'll start to change and you'll start to struggle but yeah what I really wanted to do was empower the horse owner so that's what I'm trying to do now is is educate so teach them how you can work with your horse because of course the other thing is when you send a horse to a trainer there is so much stress for that horse they're youngsters they haven't been out and about so there's the floating the leaving of the familiar environment and then the training and sometimes the facility you know like back in the day horses would just get fed twice a day and now we know that we're probably going to be creating ulcers in a horse if we do that especially when under stress doing all this training so I guess I just want to get out there that you don't have to send your horse away to the trainer. I want to show how horses learn, how to better connect with your horse and communicate with your horse so they have a better chance of, of working with their own horses without the stress of and expense of sending sending them away. So I used to come out to this client who had a few horses there and they were going really, really well. They were different horses, you know. Some One of these horses in particular was one of... I call them death before dishonor horses, kind of like gambler. So I knew she was going to need a a different approach. And so I was working with Liberty and positive reinforcement. And if I was to go back with her now, of course, I'd be bringing in a lot of the knowledge of the nervous system with her. But I moved away from the area. As I said, I've moved around a lot. Mm. Um, And I, I couldn't keep seeing them. And she ended up, sending one of her horses to actually two of her horses to a trainer and one came back with a damaged mouth the, the death before dishonor horse came back with a torn up mouth she still is unrideable because she rears mm. uh, and that broke my heart I cried over that because <laughs> you know yeah oh, they were my babies uh, they weren't my babies but they felt like my babies I connect with them all and the other horse she actually passed away from Uh, colitis at that place wow so that made me even more passionate about letting people know the alternatives uh letting people know the potential of what what could happen you know so they're aware and there's
0: another way there's another way we have choice
1: yeah we do we have choice by the end of this year i should actually have my certification in equine assisted Mm -hmm. learning because I really, I actually want to mention that I experienced, um, you know, all these, the symptoms of um, the complex trauma.
0: And there's prevalent today. There's a lot of people who'd be able to associate with that.
1: Exactly. And I have chosen to go without medication. I did, I did try it for a little while and it was okay, but there's just something in me that wanted to proceed without meds. I was told by my role models and mentors that it is possible through our nervous systems to heal and that was the path that I chose to go on. So the work that I do with the horses or my, my time, my life with the horses has been part of my own personal healing journey so if you're familiar with healing with horses, you know about how they can, can help bring us into a state of coherence just by being around us in a calm state. Our nervous system co-regulators, but also when we're training with them, some of our triggers come up, some of our old habits that are formed, you know, our neural pathways, they come up, but it's in a space where you know, we're, we're safe with the horses and we can self-reflect and start to create new new pathways for the horses. That was really important for me anyway. I'm somebody who's choosing to recover from those things through the help of the horse rather than medication. And I've had a lot of women that experience anxiety um, to me. I just want anybody out there with anxiety to know that you can work with it. You can learn to manage it. You can learn to ease it. You can you can work with your horse to do that. And your horse can, can help you. And
0: All the while getting the deep connection that we always wanted as kids. That's exactly right. It's really a win, win, win. It's just one big circle to get us where we wanted to be in the first place, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it is. And, uh, and mm. you know, through this path that I've taken, it did take me even deeper into things like when there's an issue with your horse. There's an example I'd love to share, Tracy, of something I experienced with Cody. Yes. He went lame for a long time and I had lots of people look at him, lots of body workers, and, and even when, when he did come good the next day, he was bad again, you know. Uh, and this went on for a long time. And he would often injure himself when I would decide to myself I wanted to take him to a show. And I think that's actually really common, it seems to be, <laughs> for people. So I'd think oh, I'm going to take him to a show because I did do a little bit of showing. Yeah, but he'd always injure himself before the show. And I started to go, no, nah, this is not just coincidence. This is, this is happening for a reason. And, and then it went on to this lameness which I couldn't seem to find the answer to, and uh, somebody, uh, I messaged somebody that I really looked up up to uh, one day, you know, saying, "I, what's going on? I just can't, uh, this, I just can't help my horse." And she says, "One day the message will come. One day you'll get the message." And oh, uh, for it probably went on, it went on for another year or so before I got the message. And what happened was. I was doing a lot of meditating. I wanted to communicate with animals on a more um, you know, telepathic level. I wanted to communicate with my horses. So I did used to practice that as well. Oh, I was hanging out with him a lot, meditating and trying to pick up messages. And I kept getting something about mothers or his mum. And I thought he was talking about his mum. And I knew I knew that his mum had passed away when he was very young because she was old mare and she wasn't supposed to be pregnant. <laughs> Um, that was a story I got when I purchased him. And, um, I thought, oh, maybe he needs some healing around his mum. And time went on. He was still lame. And and I spoke to another lady that I really, uh, looked up to and she said, you know what? She was in equine assisted learning. She says to me, horses work tirelessly to help us. She said, he might be talking about you, not his mum. And I, I pondered on that for a, for a while. And one day, sitting in meditation with him, sorry I would get emotional, <laughs> I realised something about my relationship with my own mum that had been brought with me, um, the dynamic I'd brought with me into relationships in the present and that wasn't working for me. And when I had that realisation, Cody became sound
0: I love it
1: yeah and that was like I'd heard of that stuff happening a lot but that was probably well the first and the biggest moment that I went "Uh uh-huh you know this is for real because I'm always questioning everything you know um but that was proof for me this is real so when there's something going on with my horses I always make sure that I'm also looking at myself and trying to keep myself well and healthy and what's going on for me as well as what's going on for the horse. Really, you don't know whose is whose. That's, that's what I've come to experience.
0: Yeah, and if we work on the premise that they're a mirror, then um, then it's going to generally be on both levels. Yes. Yeah. We we both have something because there's a shared experience there. Usually, when you do group work and one person's going through something, and generally everyone in the in the group can actually relate to what it is they're going through somehow. And, and horses definitely have that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah, sh- and the energy. You know, we're all getting affected by each other's energy fields.
0: So. Just as a little wrap-up, Valence, how can people find you? Do you work online or are you an in-person trainer?
1: At the moment, I have a horsemanship coaching service where I am in person. I come out to to the people. I have got some clinics planned for after winter, which will be in a few different locations in Victoria. Uh, So I might be able to reach some more people there. But I am putting together an online course. So my information can be available to people wherever, you know, that aren't in physical reach of me.
0: I'll put all the links in the show notes for anyone who wants to click on them and, and follow you. But can you tell us as well, what is your website?
1: So I've got a Facebook page and that's Soul Horse Revolution. Mm -hmm. The information for any clinics that are coming up will be on there and more information about the horsemanship coaching. Great. Um, I'm also going to be at the Brumby Festival again this year. So I, I'm not sure if if you knew, but I I was one of the competitors in the first Australian Brumby Challenge. So that's how I'm oh, – and, nice. and I adopted a, a Brumby. One of my horses is a, a Brumby mare, Little Mist. I need to mention Little Mist. <laughs>
0: Beautiful. I did not know that.
1: Yeah. I didn't do the challenge with Misty. I did her with a horse named uh, Lana, who's now – named Luna, but we got reserve champion yearling in the first Australian Brumby Challenge and that's how I'm connected uh, to the Brumbies. So last year we held the Brumby Festival in Wesburn, which is to help raise money uh, for the Victorian Brumby Association to help rescue more Brumbies. It's a great, fun day it was just so beautiful like for example there were kids out um, we have uh, little competitions like a little show little events for kids and adults there was some kids out there for one of the events and one of their ponies uh, laid down and had a big roll in the sand and everybody just laughed and the and the person just let their pony roll and have a good time and I just love that, you know, that atmosphere because we're there because we love our Brumbies. We want to show how great these Brumbies are, help raise money for our Brumbies. So we also have speakers giving talks as well. So uh, there's information, valuable information there. And I'll be there again this year doing a talk on anxiety in both horses and humans.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. The Brumby Festival. So if we look up the Brumby Festival on Facebook, we'll find it there.
1: Yep, there's an event page and I will also be sharing that page and more information about that on on my Soul Horse Revolution page.
0: Wonderful. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. So it's been such a wonderful discussion with you today and I really love how life just leads you on that little pathway that it takes getting you all the little tools that you need i really love what's in your toolbox i love the skills and the tools that you've developed to be able to teach people you've got such a soundness and a broad knowledge of the human and the horse and and the connection between the two it's fantastic so valence thank you so much for joining me today but even more so thanks for everything that you do for horses i'm so passionate about people like you being Lift it up, and we can show the world that there is another way. And I I love what you've developed, and I love what you've got to offer. And um, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much, and it's my pleasure. If you'd like to get in touch with Valence, then you can either follow the links in the show notes, or you can go to the blog on my website, where you can also see photos of Valence and her horses. My website is comealongfortheride.com.au. You might like to also take a look at earlier episodes in this series and go on a virtual tour of the world on horseback with Kate Pilcher from Globetrotting. I'm on a mission to make the world a better place for horses. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook share or comment on social media posts or tell your friends about the podcast you will find all the links to our social media on our website comealongfortheride.com.au we are on facebook instagram twitter and you'll find me also on linkedin i would love it if you would get in touch and say hi let me know who you would like to hear interviewed on the podcast I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as it is mine. If there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.